The information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general informational purposes only. Welcome to Rights Here, Rights Now, the podcast about disability, advocacy, and activism. I'm your advocate host, Suzanne Herbst. And I'm your advocate host, Virginia Ferris. Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy. Because someone has to. And it might as well be us. This podcast is produced by the Disability Law Center of Virginia, the Commonwealth's Protection and Advocacy Agency for Disability Rights. Find out more at dlcv.org. And today on the podcast, we have the delightful Dana Trainum, one of our senior staff attorneys here at Disability Law Center of Virginia. And she is going to be talking to us all about advanced directives. Yes, you all have been clamoring for it. We promised it. And now we're finally making good. It's advanced directive day, baby. But before we jump in, let's check out disability in the news. Disability Rights Florida, the NAACP, and five students and their families in Palm Beach, Florida, sued the public school system there last week over their practice of forcing students with disabilities to undergo mental health exams at psychiatric facilities. School employees, including school police officers, regularly seized children for involuntary examinations in psychiatric facilities when the children displayed misconduct that often stemmed from their disabilities. The school district claimed the use of the Baker Act, which gives police, judges, and mental health professionals the power to require people to undergo mental health exams if they appear to be suffering from a mental illness and there was a likelihood that they could cause serious harm to themselves or others. Oftentimes, professionals utilize this act to commit these students with disabilities, though they oftentimes did not meet any of the act's criteria. Between 2016 and 2020, the school district involuntarily committed 1,217 students, including 254 elementary school students. The lawsuit is ongoing, but those filing the suit are calling for families to be financially compensated, the school district to halt any illegal use of the Baker Act, and for more appropriate training for staff. All right. We are joined once again by the lovely Dana Trainum. Um, are you a senior staff attorney? Yes, but it doesn't mean I'm old. Just... Oh, okay. All right. Yes. You don't get any I, I, discounts. No. I was going to say, if Dana's not a senior staff attorney, I don't know who we have that who is else? a senior staff attorney. Who else would be? <laughs> uh, Dana, for some reason, has returned to speak with us once again. Um, and what I like to think of as the finale of our trilogy, where we began with looking over the Free Britney movement, and then we talked about the film I Care A Lot, and now here we are talking about some alternatives to the things you saw there. It and really is the return of the king of the advanced directives. Queen. The return of the queen. Yes, the, the return of the queen. The queen is Dana. Yes, I'm a queen. And... I'm glad we're here to talk about how to avoid being in Brittany's shoes or in the character's shoes in I Care A Lot, because Absolutely. I think that's a great way to end the trilogy. I, I think so. We, I mean, the last thing you want is a life that ends up being a Netflix movie. Yeah. That's a good point. I feel like a lot of those aren't like, let me tell you about how amazing my life was. Everything went great. 
it's always a tragedy based thing but let's go ahead and dig into the meat of this episode so dana as our eagle-eyed listeners may have noticed this is titled advanced directives and that's the way, you know, one of the ways you can sort of avoid the situations that we've talked about in the previous two episodes. So what is an advanced directive? An advanced directive is a document, or I think of it as a tool that we can use to plan for the future for any time that we may become incapacitated because of illness or injury. And by incapacitated, I mean unable to make our own decisions. Um, unable because we, um, you know, either we live to the ripe old age of 103 and, and get dementia, or um, we are in a bad car accident and we have a traumatic brain injury that leaves us either temporarily or um, permanently um, with a brain injury, or, um, or the effects of a brain injury, I should say, or, um, you know, we get ill and um, unable to make our own decisions. So we can become incapacitated in many ways and at any time, right? That could happen to any of us at any time. And so nobody likes to think about that and um, may say things like, well, I'm young, you know, I don't have to worry about that right now. Or, you know, I'm healthy. I don't have to worry about that right now. But the fact of the matter is uh, if you are listening to this podcast, and you have not planned for future incapacity, um, it's not too early. It's something that we all need to, to be prepared for so that we don't end up in a situation where our life uh, ends up in court before a judge and um, that judge then appoints someone to make our decisions for us who may not be the person we'd want to do that. That's a long-winded answer to your <laughs> question. Well, like, so let's break this down sort of step by step. A lot of the stuff you're talking about sounds um, like some other formats of support decision making that we've already, you know, touched on very briefly. How is an advanced directive different from a power of attorney or is it different from a power of attorney? You're right, Virginia. There are a lot of words that we use interchangeably, um, but they actually do have different meanings. So by advanced directive, I mean, if I were doing this in person, I'd be doing the um, interpretive dance of an umbrella. So just imagine Dana doing an interpretive dance of an umbrella. Uh, Advanced directive is the general term for this advanced planning that um, I just talked about. Under that umbrella are are different uh, portions of that advanced plan. So you mentioned power of attorney. That is a part of an advanced directive. With the power of attorney, I can choose who makes decisions for me in the future when I'm incapacitated and cannot do so for myself. So I may say, look, I'm gonna make all my own decisions. I have capacity until I don't. And when I don't have capacity anymore and somebody else needs to step in and make decisions for me, then I want Hannah to be that person. And I could take it a step further and say, If Hannah is not available or willing or able, um, because maybe she was in the same car accident as me, um, then I choose Virginia to do that. And then, you know, I can take it as far as I want. If Virginia is not available, then I pick Suzanne. Okay. 
Um, so that's a power of attorney. I can choose who steps in and makes decisions for me, who is my voice at a time when I'm not able to speak for myself. Other parts of an advanced directive, other things that fall under that umbrella include uh, a medical directive. Under a medical directive, I can put in writing decisions I'm making now for the future about any type of my medical care. Uh, I can say what doctors I wanna work with or don't wanna work with, hospitals I wanna go to, don't wanna go to, medications that I give consent for right now are medications that I refuse. Um, I can write what works for me in a crisis situation. How can you support me during a crisis? Um, how do I feel about things like chemotherapy, uh, dialysis, electric shock, or ECT? Um, anything that's important to me about medical care, I can put it in writing now, and that's called a medical directive. So, so far under the umbrella, we have power of attorney, we have medical directive. A specific type of medical directive for end of life care is called a living will. And in a living will, I can put, basically the two choices are in very general terms, whether I want life support to keep me going if I'm at the end of my life to, to keep me alive as long as possible, or do I wanna be kept comfortable, but not artificially um, kept alive by machines. Um, that's called a living will. You can also put in your advanced directive, your uh, choices and decisions about organ donation. Um, we have many ways in Virginia to, to um, indicate that we wanna be organ donors, but advanced directive is one of them. And finally, with an advanced directive, you can have what's called a Ulysses clause, which says um, that, and I think we talked about Ulysses clause in one of our other um, podcasts, but I'll go over it a little bit here. In the Ulysses Clause, I can say that if I no longer have capacity to make my own decisions, then the person I've chosen to make decisions for me, in my instance, Hannah, um, would be able to make decisions even over my objection. Um, because the thought behind that is, if right now I have capacity and I'm able to say, this is how I wanna be treated. And if I get to a future time when I don't have capacity, I don't wanna go back on that. Um, I want to go with um, the decision that I made when I was doing well, when I was stable, and when I had capacity. So that's the, the, the reasoning behind Ulysses Clause. So all of those parts make up an advanced directive. Now, that's healthcare. I can do the same thing with financial. I can do a power of attorney for um, financial care, uh, financial care, for financial decisions. Um, I can even do a, a power of attorney for educational decisions. If I am still in um, a secondary school and I am um, have an IEP, special education, I can have a power of attorney. If I'm between the ages of 18 and graduating um, and I wanna give my parents the, the same rights that they had before I turned 18, I can even do an educational power of attorney. So all of those things are what I can do to plan for the future. I can protect my healthcare decisions. I can help my protect my financial decisions, and I can protect my education. One thing we've talked about a lot um, in our last few episodes together is guardianship. So tell me about how an advanced directive is different than guardianship. It is night and day, pretty much, from guardianship. 
let's first start with the similarity. Let's get that out of the way. Similarity is whether you have a guardianship or you're under a, you have a power of attorney and you do not have capacity, someone else is making decisions for you. And that's going to happen, right? If I am in the hospital and I cannot make a decision or communicate my decision, someone's going to have to make decisions for me because consent has to be given for medical care. If I have a guardian, that person will be doing it. If I have an advanced directive, then the person I chose will be making those decisions for me. Um, whether it's my first, second, or third choice, right? That person will be making decisions for me. Um, if I don't have any of those things, uh, then um, we can talk about that later, uh, but there is a mechanism in the law for that as well. Um, but the fact of the matter is if I don't have capacity, I'm not making my own decisions, somebody is. So that's whether it's a guardian or a power of person, um, an agent and a power of attorney. So that's pretty much the only similarity. Here are the differences. In a power of attorney, um, I choose who that person or persons are going to be, who's going to be making decisions for me. Um, I hold the power for that. I make, I decide who's going to be making those decisions. I can decide what decisions they can and cannot make for me. Um, and I can also um, fire that person in the future if I have capacity. I can decide, um, you know, uh, let's make it a, a happy story. And Hannah goes to live in, I don't know, Africa and run a, a wildlife rehabilitation center, right? And there's no telephone there. Well, I don't want her to be my agent and a power of attorney anymore because she can't be reached. So, um, and Virginia and I just start getting along as well as we have been in the past. And Suzanne's now my best friend. So I want Suzanne to be my number one. Um, so I can make Finally. all this. Yes. Finally, everything's coming up, Suzanne. That's right. I handled that pretty well, didn't I? I just you did. I did. Yeah. Pull that right back together. That was um, graceful. Yes. So anyway, I can make changes to my power of attorney anytime. I don't have to get anybody else's approval. I don't have to go to court. And probably the most important thing is I don't have to include a lawyer. And keeping lawyers out of your life is usually a good thing. Um, so, um, and, and the same thing when I write the power of attorney to start with, I don't have to have an attorney to write it. Um, I don't have to um, go to court to have them okay it. Um, so I'm, I hold all the power, right, in, in, the, in the advanced directive. When I go to court and someone wants to be my guardian, um, because when I removed Virginia as number two on my power of attorney, um, she decided she wanted to go to court and become my guardian. Well, if that were to happen, I lose all control. And so that's the biggest difference is that when I use an advanced directive in any, any of those, any, any of the parts and pieces, um, I can do every part I mentioned. I can do just the power of attorney. It's kind of an a la carte system. I can choose what I want to use, what works for me. Um, I have all the power. If I go to court and a guardian is appointed, I have no power. We saw that in the Brittany case. We saw that in I care a lot. Um, once a guardian is appointed, it's pretty much all my authority and my power over my own life is gone. So that, the, like I said, they are night and day. So 
Dana, I'm on board. You've sold me. You did slander my character to get back into Suzanne's good graces, but I will forgive it. Um, so, I, you know, I'm ready to put together an advanced directive. Who can who can make an advanced directive? First of all, like who is eligible to actually make the document, and second of all, who who can they get to help them? So anybody over the age of eighteen is in Virginia presumed to have capacity, and that's the only requirement for who can do an advanced directive. It has to be someone who has capacity. So that means anybody under the age of eighteen cannot do one. And anybody who already has a guardian appointed cannot do one because they've already been deemed a lack capacity. Other than that, any adult can do an advanced directive. And I mean any, uh, it's regardless of um, disability, IQ, whatever, um, anybody can do an advanced directive. Um, anybody who has capacity and they're over the age of 18. Who can help? Um, well. DLCV has a wonderful website. Um, if you go to dlcv.org and um, search for supported decision-making under resources, videos, fact sheets. And the thing that I'm most excited about, um, there are some do-it-yourself forms with line-by-line -line instructions. We have one for just the power of attorney because um, that's what you know the majority of people um, use is the power of attorney. So we have one that's for that. And then we have one that's for all the, the entire advanced directive, um, all those pieces and parts that we talked about under the umbrella. And there are line by line instructions that will walk you through the process um, and tell you how to fill in the lines and you know what to think about as you're filling it in. If you need more assistance than that, you can call DLCV on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and uh, speak to our intake specialist. And um, you can either get more information from a subject matter expert on this particular topic, or um, we also have an objective this year to help folks if they cannot fill it out for themselves. And so we may be able to help you in that way. We also in Virginia have um, trained peer facilitators for um, folks in the mental health community. And you can go to- It is virginiaadvancedirectives.org. If you go there, there, um, you will be able to find if you're in your area has any uh, trained peer facilitators. Also, um, when I was filling out mine years ago, I had some questions about how I felt about some of the things in the living will, um, particularly about artificial uh, nutrition, feeding tubes and that sort of thing when you're at the end of your life. And I went to my local hospital. I wasn't a patient at the time. I went to my local hospital and I asked to speak to the chaplain. Um, and the chaplain was able to talk some things through with me and I was able to figure out, you know, what, what I wanted to, what decision I wanted to make regarding that. Um, so hospitals have social workers, they have chaplains um, that can, can talk to you about this stuff. Your doctor can answer questions. Um, other folks in your doctor's health care, if you have a nurse practitioner or a nurse, um, if you have a case manager through the community services board or another organization, they may be able to help you. Um, so there are, and just talking to people who have gone through the process um, can also be helpful. Now, I don't want to get too excited, but I think I heard you say this earlier. And from this explanation you've just given us, I think I have it right. Do I not need a lawyer to make an advanced directive? You do not need a lawyer. 
to write an advanced directive. That is correct. Some people do go to a lawyer. Um, you know, here's the thing. Speaking as a lawyer, okay, I'm not putting down lawyers, but I hesitate to send folks, especially with developmental disabilities, to a lawyer um, who doesn't have any expertise in that area because their idea of capacity to do this document may be very different from my idea of capacity to fill out this document. The other thing I like about um, the forms on our website, um, and yes, I did create them, full disclosure. Um, I tried to use English as much as possible um, and not the lawyer lawyeries that people don't understand. I tried to make it as understandable as possible. There are some words that are just in there um, because they kind of have to be. But for the most part, I tried to write it so that people would understand it. You know, we don't have to have advanced directives that say heretofore or whereas or all of those words that, that you know, um, make a document cost more. Um, and so you can actually write it yourself if you're so inclined. Virginia doesn't have any magic form that has to be used or magic words that have to be used. So you can write it yourself. You can look at other forms and decide what you like and don't like and pick and choose, which is kind of what I did when I um, created my own form. Um, I looked at a lot of different ones online and um, created it from what I like the best from the different um, ones that I found. I understand not wanting to involve a lawyer. I think that that's fantastic, but if I don't have a lawyer, if, if my advanced directive does not say whereas at least once, how is anyone supposed to know it's a legal document? Ha. Well, in Virginia, there's only really one requirement to make it a legal document. And that is that it is signed in the presence of two witnesses. So when I sign my power of attorney, when I have it done the way I wanna have it done and I'm ready to sign it, I have to sign it in front of two people. I say, uh, this isn't a requirement under the law, but this is Dana's advice, um, is that those two people not be people that are named in the document. I always think that it's better that everybody has one job, because if you start giving people more than one job, then, then, then you start get looking at conflicts and that sort of thing. Um, and so I would choose two people that you didn't name in your document as uh, an agent. And you just sign in front of them and they sign and date it at the same time at the same time, okay? So I can't sign my document and then tomorrow go and ask somebody to witness it, okay? We have to be in the room at the same time and they have to be witnessed together. So the question I usually get at this point is, well, what about a notary? Virginia law does not require your advanced directive to be notarized. I do, however, recommend it. And here's why. Virginia, just like you said, whereas, if it has a whereas at the beginning, especially if it's in all caps, I mean, whereas in all caps, it's, it's obviously a legal document, right? Well, some people feel that way about notarization. If it has that notary stamp on it, boy, it must be real, right? It looks more official. It looks more uh, legal. Fact of the matter is it's not, um, but it does have that appearance. And sometimes um, that helps with having people honor it without a whole, you know, um, questioning it and, and gumming up the works. The other thing is, is that other states out there do require it to be notarized. 
So if I'm traveling to a state that requires it to be notarized, and I should pick a state that I know requires it, but I don't know when it does. So let's just say that I'm going to anywhere, uh, the state of anywhere, and they require it to be notarized. And I'm vacationing there um, at Anywhere Beach, and um, I get injured. And I go to the hospital, and they have to use my advanced directive. It's not notarized, but they require it. It's going to slow it down a little bit because they will honor it because it's legal in Virginia and that's where I signed it. Um, the hospital personnel, they're just used to looking for that notarization. And if it's not there, it's going to take them a little bit longer to figure out, yes, we do have to follow this. So if you can get it notarized, um, then, then I do recommend that. But don't let that slow you down from actually doing it. Don't let that be the excuse um, that you haven't signed it. So we've talked about sort of the big umbrella of advanced directives, but what kind of things can you include in your advanced directive that might be a little bit more specific? So let's take each piece of that advanced directive um, and talk about the specific things that you can put in there. So in the power of attorney, when you're choosing someone to make decisions for you, um, you can choose um, what decisions they can make and what decisions they can't make. So if you're looking at any form, including the, my form on our webpage, or if you buy one at Walmart or Staples or whatever, um, it will have a list of things that your agent can make decisions about. It'll include things like end of life care, um, refuse or consent to um, any types of medical care, including end of life care. It might mention um, authority to decide visitors. And it goes you know, on and on and on. Um, you can look through those powers and decide, no, I don't want my agent to have the authority to make that decision. If you use my form with the line by line instructions, I take each one of those powers and explain why it's important and what happens if you take that power away from your agent, how will it affect the rest of your document? Um, and so um, you have to really think about that because if you remove some of those powers from your agent, it makes your agent not able to really do his or her job. Um, so I do recommend, even if you don't use my form, at least look at that part of the form um, where it talks about the powers of the agent and what they mean. When we're looking at medical directive, that's medical directives, that's when you really get into the nitty gritty and lots of options. Um, in the beginning, in the introduction, I talked about you know um, doctors, hospitals um, that I would wanna, um, work with and would not want to work with. Um, if I'm in a crisis and they're looking at um, either putting me in seclusion or restraint or giving me a medication to calm me down, what can they do um, rather than those things? When I'm looking at seclusion and restraint, is there anything in my past that would make that um, counterproductive? Do I have any experience in my past where seclusion or restraint would re-traumatize me would actually make the situation worse, not better. Um, not that I think those things ever make the situation better. Um, I can put, if, if I have certain people I want to visit me or not visit me when I'm hospitalized, I can put that in there. Um, I can, when I talk about a medical directive, I, I also wanna be very clear that medical includes healthcare, physical health care, as well as mental health care. In Virginia, we don't have what's called a psychiatric advance directive. In fact, we were the first state in the nation. And Virginia, I don't know if you know if we're still the only one, 
um, we decided on an integrated advanced directive rather than having a psychiatric advanced directive totally separate from your healthcare. Because um, basically for most of us, our head is attached to our body. And, um, and so why have psychiatric care in a totally separate document from um, the document that talks about the rest of our healthcare? Um, here's the thing, in a medical directive, you, you pretty much can put anything in there that is important to you when it comes to your health and well-being. Even if you don't think it can be followed. For example, um, what really calms me down if I'm in a crisis and I'm really upset and I may be in danger of hurting myself or somebody else? Well, maybe for someone it's, it's smoking marijuana. Okay. Um, I could put that in my document. It doesn't mean that they're going to give me marijuana, but it, it tells the medical professionals, okay, this is something she uses and this is something that is calming to her. Or um, maybe it's playing with my rattlesnake. You know, I really, you know, playing with my rattlesnake calms me down and keeps me from hurting other people when I'm feeling that way. Well, they're not going to let me bring my rattlesnake into the hospital, but maybe they know pet therapy might work for me. I mean, who knows? They, they have pet therapy that's a, you know, a bow or something that's not venomous. So anyway, it gives them information, gives, you know, the medical professionals information, um, even if it's not something that they can do for me. If you think of your medical directive as your voice, think about a time when you met with a doctor for the first time, all those questions they have for you. Well, if you're not able to answer those questions, let your medical directive be your voice in that situation and give that doctor or those medical professionals um, as much information as possible about you and what works for you. Because you're the expert on your own body and your own healthcare. So taking it back to um, kind of, especially the, the psychiatric piece a little bit, um, a lot of the work I do has to do with folks who are inpatient hospital settings. And a lot of those folks have issues with their medication. And some of them have even been court ordered to take certain kinds of psychotropic medication that they don't necessarily like. If somebody has an advanced directive can they use that to guarantee that they are never going to be given, say, Haldol under any circumstance? No. So I can't, like I said earlier, I can say that I consent or refuse to give consent to medications now for the future. So if I put in my advanced directive, I refuse to give consent to Haldol or any of its, any medication in that family. Um, I do not give consent to it now for the future. The doctor um, at that point can only give that medication to me or that family of medications to me if there's an emergency situation and that is the only medication that will work in that emergency situation or there is a court order. A court order will trump the advanced directive. However, um, the judge will look at that advanced directive and, and will know that that is my preference that, um, that I not take that drug. I do recommend when people say that they refuse to give consent to certain medications to put why. Um, is it the side effect, you know, and what side effect? Um, because I may put that I don't want to take 
this medication, you know, medication A, because it, 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 it makes me nauseated. Um, and they may be in a point where that is going to truly be the best medication for what's wrong with me. And they can give me another medication to, to deal with the nausea part of it. So always put why you don't want them to take the medication. What side effect is it that you don't want to deal with? Um, and also if it hasn't worked for you in the past, um, you want to make sure that they know that. Remember, this document is speaking for you when you can. And a doctor is always going to ask you, well, what medications have you tried for this in the past? And, you know, did they work for you? So let that document um, tell the doctor that. So we talked a little bit about how Virginia can be different from other states in the way that we've structured our advanced directives. And we talked about, you know, if you go to anywhere state, I think you mentioned that your advanced directive would still be honored there. How does that, how does that work if you're, if you're crossing state lines with an advanced directive? So um, other states will honor it, um, but, and, and here's, the, here's the thing, because they're different laws, other states may have different requirements. So for example, a friend of mine was gonna have surgery in um, Georgia. That's what the specialist was. She was going to go down there. She already had an advanced directive for Virginia. She had me look at Georgia law to see what was required. And they did have different requirements than we did. We went ahead and, well, I went ahead and drew up another advanced directive for her following Georgia law. Um, and she signed that one. And so that was hers when she was in Georgia. The only reason we did that was just because their law was so specific and what it required in the advanced directive that we wanted to just go ahead and meet all those requirements. So there was no question about whether they had to follow it, whether they had to, you know, it didn't have to go to their lawyer, didn't have to go to their ethics committee. It didn't have to go through all those hoops. Um, we met all the requirements for Georgia. Now for people who are just vacationing, I, you know, I don't, you don't have to do that for, you know, every state you're going to vacation to um, because they will follow it. Um, it just made, be a little bit slower for them to realize that, you know, oh, this was signed in Virginia. We need to see, you know, was it valid when it was signed in Virginia? And the notary is the big one. That's, that's usually the difference between Virginia and other states. Other, now, going to other countries, I have no idea how this would work. Um, but here's the thing. If you go to a hospital and you need emergency treatment of some sort, and they need someone to consent to that treatment, they're going to be very happy to see that they have a name, a phone number, address, an email to get in touch with somebody, um, regardless of what their law is. They're going to be really happy to know who do I call um, for this person. Deal with law later, but let's deal with the emergency now. Yeah. So in, in terms of letting somebody either domestic or abroad know about your advanced directive, how can you do that? How can you um, make it available to the people who are gonna need it um, sort of both, I guess, routinely and in an emergency? So how do I let people know that I have an advanced directive? There are several ways. First off, Virginia has a free service for people to register their advanced directives. Um, Virginia, if you'd look up that website for me, please. Um, I should have it in my head and I just don't. 
Um, it's with the Virginia Department of Health, but I will. Yes, it's run through the Virginia Department of Health. When you register your advanced directive um, with them, they will send you a card that you carry with your identification. And it says that you have an advanced directive and it says how to get it, um, get a copy of it or to see it. So, you know, nowadays the rescue squad that comes to an emergency situation has a computer on board and they're able to look it up and they can contact your agent and your power of attorney before you even make it to the hospital. Um, so that they're there ready to um, um, make decisions and sign documents and all that sort of thing. And so the website for that is connectvirginia.org. That's all spelled out, connectvirginia.org slash A-D-R. And in case I didn't pronounce that well enough, that stands for Advanced, Direct, Advanced Directive Registry. So that's one way that you can let people know that you have an advanced directive. Some people carry it with them. Um, it's easier for people who carry purses, obviously. Um, if you go to that website we mentioned earlier, advanced directive, no, virginiaadvancedirectives.org, um, they have a wallet size um, advanced directive that you can carry with you. Another way that you can let people know that you have an advanced directive is um, through a USB drive. And people, uh, I've seen them in two different formats. Uh, actually three, take it back. I've seen them in three different formats. First is uh, a bracelet that looks like the medical alert bracelet. It has the little cute little snake thing on there um, that shows that it's medical. And it snaps apart and there's a USB drive that goes and it has put your medical information, your doctor's name, your allergies, your and your advanced directive. I've also seen those in, a, in a, what looks like a plastic credit card. Um, believe it or not, even though it's flat, you can pull it out and there's this little thing you stick in the USB drive and it has all that information on it. I've also seen people wear um, lanyards around their neck and again, it has the medical symbol so people know. Um, you can put on an index card. Um, I have an advanced directive in case of emergency, call this person. I mean, that's good enough. You can, um, in your smartphone, you can, do people still say smartphone? In your phone, um, unless you have a flip phone, let's put it that way. Um, you can, uh, most phones now come with an app called ICE, and that stands for in case of emergency. And you, uh, if you open up that app, it'll have you put, you know, your doctor's name, your medical information, and you can also upload your advanced directive into that app. So those are all ways to let people know. Um, also, once you've done your advanced directive, you wanna make sure that all of your doctors have a copy um, and you can even uh, register it with your local hospital or hospitals. You don't have to wait to be a patient. You just go to the registration, say, I'd like to put my advanced directive on file. Um, the, this document doesn't work in secrecy. People have to know about it. So, you know, you have to be, um, to get that out there, you want your agent to have a copy. Um, you know, people like a case manager, or if it's an educational you, you know, power of attorney, the school needs it. Um, family, friends, um, your spiritual advisor, your minister, uh, anybody that you want to know, look, this is what I want done if I'm ever in an emergency situation or I'm ever not able to make my own decisions. 
Um, you want people to know this is what this is what I want happen. Whatever you do, don't hide it. Don't put it in your in your bedside table. Don't stick it in your family Bible. Don't put it in your safe deposit box. Okay, um, you can put the originals in those places. That's fine, um, but you want to make sure people have copies. And as you're making these copies, and you're giving them out, you know, you have a copy, and you have a copy, and you have a copy. The whole Oprah thing. Um, then you want to make sure you're keeping track of who gets those copies, because if you ever want to make changes in the future, um, you know, when I fire Hannah and I promote Suzanne, I want, you know, everybody to know um, that I've made those changes. So if you do want to make those changes, how do you go about doing that? Or maybe even if you have drafted up an advanced directive and you decide you want to get rid of it entirely. So you can revoke your advanced directive. And by that, you just do a written document saying that you revoke it. That's the safest way. I mean, you could do that verbally, but it's safer to do it in writing. And remember that list of copies that you made? Um, you wanna let everybody know they got a copy, let everybody know that it is revoked. Um, but the way that most people change their advanced directive is just write a new one. So that your newest advanced directive is the one that is um, valid. But you want to let people know that you've done that. Because if you don't let Dr. A know that Dr. A is still following your old one um, and maybe trying to reach Hannah, who's now in Africa and, you know, can't get the phone call. So um, you want to make sure people know um, when you make those changes. Well, I think that we've given our listeners a whole lot to think about. Um... We also have, uh, if folks are interested in learning more, if you go to our website, dlcv.org, we have an entire support decision-making portal with those forms that Dana mentioned, as well as just a gorgeous video series that uh, Dana starred in um, that is our Ask the Expert series on advanced directives. So Dana, as always, it's been real and it's been fun, and it's been real fun. It's been fun for me too. And I have to say that you guys have now tapped out every single bit of knowledge that I have in my brain. So I don't know what if I'd ever come back and talk about again. This may be my last last hurrah. We'll think of something and it might be a situation where we just cultivate it over time. We're like, Dana, could you look into this one topic? And then in a year, we'll be like, you know, Dana, we know you know a lot about this one topic. So let's make a podcast. Could it be chickens? Yes. Could we talk about chickens? Chickens don't have enough representation on this podcast right now. No, they do not. And a lot of them have disabilities. Yeah. We, We just have to really finely craft that disability angle, but... Uh, Dana, hopefully uh, we will see you and your chickens again in the very near future. Thank you so much for coming. Bye, guys. Dana. <laughs> and now, a DLCV highlight. Oral health, meaning care for our teeth and gums, is a very important part of overall health and well-being. DLCV is excited to let you know that Virginia Medicaid now offers full dental benefits to its adult members. Adults with full Medicaid benefits can now obtain cleanings and preventive care, x-rays and exams, fillings, dentures, root canals, gum-related treatments, oral surgeries, and more. 
Your first step in using your full dental benefits is to find a dentist in your area that accepts Medicaid. You can do this by calling Virginia Medicaid's DentaQuest information line at 1-888-912-3456. That number again is 1-888-912-3456. Call today can make an appointment and show us your smile. Thank you once again to Dana Trainum, senior staff attorney, knower of all things for just giving us the once over on advanced directives. There's just so much to know and think about when it comes to advanced directives. They are one of my favorite things um, that we do at DLCV. They were uh, kind of my gateway drug into disability rights. So if anybody's interested, again, I highly recommend going on our website, dlcv.org, checking out our support decision-making portal and learning more or making one yourself. Absolutely. And we are especially grateful to Dana for joining us once again. I'm sure she's sick of us, but we'll never be sick of her. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now, brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you need assistance or want more information about DLCV and what we do, visit us online at dlcv.org. Follow us on Twitter at DisabilityLawVA and share us with your friends. Until next time, I'm Virginia Ferris. And I'm Suzanne Herbst. And this has been Rights Here. Rights Now.